and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman and welcome to our program on a sizzling, sizzling hot day here in Sydney. How are you coping, Hunty? Mate, is it hot? And g'day, viewers. I'm listeners, brother. It's so good to be with you viewers. this afternoon. The, viewers. Mistake number one. Switching from radio to TV. We're, we're starting good. <laughs> it, it is actually really... I don't know what it is outside. 39, 40 degrees yeah, plus. at least 39. With a north... <laughs> 39. <laughs> with at least a, a, a... It's got a very... This really, really hot... Northwesterly yep. wind yep. blowing in off the desert, and it's blowing a gale, and it is hot. But in the studio, and it is a miracle, man. Twenty-one degrees. We got this air. Con- well, you and who? And our best mate who owns this place. He doesn't like to be. Doesn't like to be. So I'm not allowed to identify him on radio. We thanked. He doesn't like it. No. But he's a good man. The reality is, we have this studio on a farm owned by a fellow believer. Yep. And he sets it up. Basically, lets us use it. For free. He does. And we praise God for that. We do. And what happened to your air conditioners in the last couple of weeks while you're working? I think we we mentioned it last week, but let's just open that for a second. So our listeners, notice listeners, Listeners, not viewers, viewers. listeners, yeah. Would you believe that a bunch of rats had a party in their air conditioners and ate up all the wiring plastic, shorted it all out, blew up all the computers, and so we had no air over Christmas into the new year, so we set the new studio up in a sauna bar. You did, I didn't. Yeah, I did. I didn't have much to do for the Good news, good news. The parts arrived yesterday. What parts? To repair all the rack damage. Oh, so we'll have both air conditioners, because you've only got one working We've at the moment. We've got one limping along in manual mode. Just We just badged it on. We just said, just go. I'm just praising so the there's Lord. there's no controller. You- it's just running flat out. I'm just so glad you got it, because I actually thought summer, summer, summer had blown her last breeze on us, but we're really getting a kick here in the last few days. Yesterday in Sydney, hottest day, I think, in two or three years. You reckon that's true? That's what they said on National Online News last night. Yeah, okay. I suppose if National 9 News said it, we better believe it. We better believe it, yeah. I'll tell you what, I, <laughs> I, I remember in the last few years, I don't know how long ago, on the freeway, coming back from church and it was 50 degrees. I know, right. So that must have been longer ago. We're getting old and the years just roll by, hunty. Hey, what's going on today? Oh, today we've got a couple of great guests. We've got Harold Harker. He's one of our stalwarts. He's got a we're, great story. We're going to look at Thomas More, and this story is a bit different than normal ones because we're going to look at a guy who's coming from the other side of the contest between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. This guy is not... I don't think he covered himself in glory. I think he was probably... I don't think it's too much to say he's an enemy of the gospel. We're going to ask Harold that and see how he sees that. And we have another great guest this afternoon. This guy's in charge of the Adventist Church for the entire of Australia. Do you so remember his name? He's our head honker. He's our head honcho, our <laughs> Do boss. Do you remember his Do name? Do I remember his name? Yeah, of course I remember his name. And? He's uh, Pastor Terry Johnson. Okay, I was hoping that <laughs> if Terry was listening, I was hoping that you'd miss that. Terry but. said he might have listened, but he's currently chairing an important um, meeting at the moment. So, And that's going to be one challenging interview. In fact, I'll tell, you, I'll tell our listeners right now. Yes. I'm about to ask him harder questions. Yes. How long have we been on radio? We've never asked anyone in the entire time we've been on radio questions this hard. In fact, he showed courage... By showing up well, and actually, saying... hang on. No credit to him yet until he turns up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry Johnson will turn up, don't you worry. Okay. And when he turns up, 
he'll be advancing the cause of Christ like he always does. He does. He's but good, these good are hard questions. I threw it at yep, them. the hardest. Th- threw them at him. Yep. Yeah. Now, by the way, if you want to ask Terry Johnson a question. Now, yes. Terry is the leader of the Adventist Church in Australia. He's your boss. <laughs> well, I better be careful in case he's listening. <laughs> but, but the truth is I have one boss and one boss only. That's true. And yes. he's listening right now. <laughs> That's right. I found out the other day, Hunty. Yeah. My, I was talking to my mum about our our lineage, our background, our ancestry. Yep. I didn't realise that we have Irish ancestry on my mother's mother's side. Well, that's no surprise to me. <laughs> they go, guess where they go? Where? All the way back to the convicts. <laughs> so all of a sudden I've, I've worked out what this stubborn, rebellious streak in me is that God has been working so hard all my life to, he, he uses it actually. But he inoculates me from the bad side of it, if that makes sense. It's the Irish convict in me, man. Can, can I dredge up all my favourite Irish jokes, or is that not PC anymore? No, we don't do that. We can't do Irish jokes? No, we no. can't do Irish jokes. I'm pretty sure that was your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost uh, kind of contact of where we were going with this conversation. Okay, so um, ask we- the Aussie pastor if you'd like to send a question for us to ask Terry, or you'd like to send a question to me so I can ask Lloyd. Is it too late to ask the Aussie No, pastor? we'd love to hear from you. If you've got a question... I would rather you really throw some questions at Terry. Okay. If, right. if, if you are a listener out there and you've never sent a question, ask... I don't have to answer these. <laughs> I'm just going to ask him. Yes. Um, throw so, as hard a question at him as you can. Oh, that's right. We are talking about who my boss was. I know, right? I said my boss is God. Yes. But, you know, he... Effectively, he is your and my boss. I know, right? <laughs> but he doesn't act like that. No, he's a good man. But let me tell you, if you want to text your questions to us, zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one. If you want to email them to us, it's info at aussiepastor.com, and we will forward those through in about, we should have him live in about 30-odd minutes. Actually, let's announce that a couple more times because sure. I want to see some questions coming through to Terry. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and if they come through, we'll extend his segment. Is that all right, Hunter? Yeah, of course we can do that. Yep. Uh, okay, mate. Um, this day in history. Well, this is the 66th day of the year. Can you believe that? March wow. 7. Wow. Here's some things that happened. Some big things, actually. It might surprise you. On this day in 321 AD... Emperor Constantine declared Solus Invicto Sunday as the day of rest for the Empire. Do you know why he did that? I'm interested in why you think. I think he was trying to rally all the Christians and all the pagans all together and said, look, stop taking all these days off. We want you all to worship on one day, and here it is. Yeah. So Is that the gist of it? Yeah. He, he chose Sunday, which was a worship to the sun god, but he Christianized it. He baptized the day. He baptized the day, yep. It wasn't the first time the Seventh-day Sabbath had come under pressure, but it was kind of a very big blow. Yeah. And this was really one of the big factors in the Sabbath being changed from the seventh day of the week to the first day. And this happened on this day in 321 AD. Amazing, isn't it? Wow. Um, 1798. This is another big one in prophecy. The French army enters Rome under General Berthier, takes Pius the Pope, Pius the Sixth prisoner. Um. Delivered a mortal wound to the papacy, which really they didn't recover from until last century. 
Anyway, that's another Bible study we might look at one day. Very, very interesting. Mm. In 1876, I'm going to see if I, when I when I <laughs> when I found this one, I thought, I wonder if Hunty will get this one. 1876. Don't worry about the date. Think the name. Was I still alive? You'd been just you just born. I'm pretty old. <laughs> yeah, you just been born. Alexander Graham Bell paintings. Telephone. Very good, mate. And interestingly, so that happens in 1876. In 1926, how, how much later is that? 76, 86. 50. Yeah, 50 years later to the day, you have the first transatlantic telephone call from London to New York. Nice. To the day. Do you know how they did that? No. They actually got a huge roll of cable, as thick as your arm of copper. Yep. And they ran it under the sea. Back Way back in 1926, they did yeah, that. They ran a cable... F- Right, right across the entire of the Atlantic. Atlantic. Oh well, that ha- that the telephone call happened on this day. Yep. In nineteen twelve, I found this one interesting too. Rael Amundsen. I know you've heard of him. He announces the discovery of the South Pole. Ooh, Edmondson. How do you say it? Edmondson. No, Ad- Amundsen, isn't it? A M U N D S E N. Oh, Amundsen. okay. Oh, okay. I don't don't know this guy. Oh, I think you probably do. Okay. Is only is it only a hundred dollar note? Oh, don't ask me questions okay, like that. All right. <laughs> I don't know. But he discovered the South Pole in 1912. I, I would have thought we'd discovered it long before then, but apparently yeah, wow. not. It has always wow. been there, of course. Yep. In 1936, Hitler sends troops into the Rhineland, breaking a World War I peace treaty. It, this is 1936. The war begins 1938, 1939. But this was really the beginning of World War II because he breaks a World War I treaty. And that got the nations on edge, and really they slipped into war not long after that. Um, in 1968, the BBC broadcast, Hunty, the news for the first time in colour. Oh, colour, of course. That's 1968. Man, we didn't have a TV in 1968. <laughs> so they're broadcasting in colour before my dad and mum went and got us a television. Wow. Oh, boy. In 1994, the US allows women to actively serve on combat ships. Mm-hmm. That was only in 1994. In 2009, Brazilian soccer star Neymar. You know about him? I don't. Oh, hunty. You're a cultural wasteland with the soccer, aren't you, bro? <laughs> it's football, my brother. He's, he's, yeah, okay. He's one of the greatest football players ever in the history of the world. He makes his debut by, debut at 17 years of age. He plays right now. He, he plays for Paris Saint Germain, which is one of the huge teams in Europe. He's only played for three teams: Santos, which is his South American team, Brazilian team, mm-hmm. uh, Barcelona. You know where Barcelona is, Spain. Mm-hmm, I do. And now Paris Saint Germain, which I'm thinking is probably in France. You can correct me if that's wrong. Two more. Well, one, yeah, a couple more. Yep. 2011, Charlie Sheen is fired from the sitcom Two and a Half Men. <laughs> yes. I don't know why that happened. He was. He turned up drunk too many times. Is that what it was? He was causing too much grief outside the set. Mm. Birthdays, Ivan Lendl. You know who he is? Great tennis Great player. Great tennis player, yeah. yes. He yes. was born in 1960. And deaths, only one. 1274, Thomas Aquinas. An Italian priest and philosopher of great fame, a Dominican priest who was against the Protestant Reformation, but very famous in history. Well, he died on this day. And just as we finish, yesterday was the 12-month anniversary of the death of Shane Warne. It was. Mm. Which I think is very sad. Mm. Welcome to our program. We pray today that you will see Jesus. And before we start, I'm going to ask Hunty to pray. My pleasure. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this afternoon 
former mate Lloyd as he opens the Bible and, and presents a beautiful message to our listeners. But mostly, Lord, I pray for our listeners. Lord, please grant them all peace. Wrap your loving arms around all of them, Lord, and let them know that you're real and, you're, and please be close to them. And please bless them, I pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor, here on Faith FM. Let's listen to some music, hunty. This is a beautiful one from Don Moan. It's a song that a lot of different artists sing, but I like his version and I like this song. Actually, as you listen to it, hunty, tell me after we listen to it whether we could introduce this song to church. Mm, I I don't always get whether or not... I I like a whole heap of songs, but I'm always asking you or my wife or Button, our music leader, would this work in church? Because just because you listen to it doesn't mean it'll work in church, correct? Correct. Can you listen to this one and tell me it'll work in church? Look forward to it. With us singing? It's a good song, The Goodness of God. Goodness of God 
feels the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God If I can testify about one thing, Hunty, it's that God, and this is in my 33 years of following Jesus. Not always hot years, but 33 years Jesus and I have been hanging around each other. Jesus, God is good. Now, what about that song? Can we sing that in church? Absolutely. And let me let me give you the rough rules that I apply to songs. Sometimes people say, oh, it's too high or it's too low. But I don't worry about that because the keyboard player can shift it to the right key. But if the song has extremely high highs and extremely low lows, there's nothing the keyboard player can do to get it in range for people to sing. And nothing worse than a song that the majority of the church can't sing because they know straight away they can't sing it and they close their mouths. Yeah. But this song, in my opinion, we could sing it beautifully in church. Um, for me, if it's got a simple harmony... Yes, that's very important too. I can sing it. Yep. If not, I'm in trouble. Um, I want to get some questions in for Terry. Okay. Let's Come on. Get again. Yeah, have, a, have a go. Huh? Hey, if you want to send in a question, we'll put them to Terry. Uh, you can text them to us. On zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or you can email them to us, and the email address is theaussiepastor at gmail dot com. So yes, send us your questions for Ask the Aussie Pastor or for Terry. Certainly hasn't been a slow news week, but it hasn't been perhaps as sensational as some weeks. I know over there in Ukraine and Russia, they're still slogging it out. What an mm, awful, awful war that is! Yep. It is horrendous. They're still trying to clean up from that awful earthquake in Turkey. I know that in New Zealand, this cyclone of a week or two ago... Have you had a look at that, Hunty? These floods in New Zealand from that cyclone that hit a week or so back in Napier, Hastings, right across the middle of New Zealand there, the North Island, they are devastating. Absolutely. They're up there. If anything, we suffered back in... August, mm. September. The pundits are saying there are areas of New Zealand that will never recover. Did you know a hundred bridges have been wiped out? That's oh, just no, a little country, a hundred. man. I know. Their population is less than New South Wales. And then you've got Vanuatu, who just got hit by a cyclone and two earthquakes at once. Mm. And so although you might not think it's a big news week, there's plenty going on. This one, which is pretty sad to start off of, in the Philippines, the Adventist Church, which you and I belong to, Seventh-day Adventist yep. Church, unlike Australia. In Australia, the Adventist Church is a pretty small church. I think we've only got about 60,000 here, mate. Yeah, about that. But over there in the Philippines, big church, maybe number two or number three in the country, outside of the Catholic Church and I think one of the Protestant churches, then you've got Seventh-day Adventist Church. So it's a big church over there. Yep. And just this last week, we had a missionary pilot in a helicopter and a volunteer missionary nurse, young woman in her early 20s from the United States of America. They get up in this helicopter and it's all funded on volunteer funds. So this is something the church yep, does as a yep. service to the community. This helicopter is like a Westpac rescue helicopter. goes for people when they're really sick. goes to this island. Uh, I think it's up near Palawan, which is a pretty nice place in the Philippines. Picks up the patient and I think a couple of her relatives, on the way back, and it disappears. Hmm. And for five or six days now, they've been trying to find this helicopter, and the only thing they've found is the shoes of the young nurse. Hmm. 
and it's looking very, very grave. Mm. Like, unless there's some huge miracle, they're not going to find this helicopter. Mm. Time's running out. Yeah, all these people. And it just goes to show that even when you serve God, bad things happen, hunty. Mm. I kind of feel here that a couple of warriors have fallen. Yep. And people say, well, if you serve God, it always works out. No, it doesn't. The only thing God promises is that he'll walk with you through the darkness. And for the families around these missionaries, whether it's the Filipino Adventist pilot or the Filipino Adventist nurse, these are dark times indeed. And two heroes have fallen together with the patient and her two family members, very serious thing. And um, they may have fallen, but they follow in a long line of mighty men and women of God who have fallen in the course. Mm. And their eternity is sure mm. because they died with Jesus. And I think that's the only comfort you can bring from this. Lord. For sure. But bad things happen to everyone, hunty. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather, if something bad is going to happen, I'd rather happen to me walking with Jesus than without him. Of course. Mm. Mm. So I just thought that was a an interesting but very sad little news item, mm. that one. Mm. This one here stirs me up. It really stirs me up. The Reserve Bank hikes interest rates again. Yep, me too. Do you know why it stirs me up? I know why it stirs me up, but you tell well, me why no, it stirs you, you up. You bat first. No, no, you tell me why it stirs you up. Okay, I'll go I'll go into bat first. It stirs me up because usually interest rates are raised to inhibit discretionary spending. You know what I mean by discretionary spending? Yep. You go out and buy a television or a fridge or yep. whatever, what a car or, or, or a new motorcycle, doesn't that sound oh, no, good? That sounds good. <laughs> whatever. You yep. go out, that's discretionary spending. Yep. But the inflation which the Reserve Bank Claims it wants to inhibit is not being driven by discretionary spending. Mm. It's being driven by the big companies, the oil companies, the gas companies, uh, the service companies. It's being driven by them, not by the little people. But the Reserve Bank goes and hits the little people on the head, Mm. and it's hurting ordinary Australians. I'm out there on the front line, and I'm not a victim of this, hunty. Mm. I do have a mortgage, but it's so small. Because I'm, what, 59, so I'm well down the track. But I'm just watching people. I'm watching good people. Their businesses go under. Their housing loans are under enormous stress, taking two or three jobs. Now, you can say, and I've heard people say this, and I understand, oh, they shouldn't have taken such big loans. But people generally live in the moment. When you have the governor of the Reserve Bank say, well, interest rates aren't going up until 2024, people take that as Mm -hmm. a guide on what they can do. Absolutely. And so I just think that what's happening with these interest rate rises is criminal. Let me me put it into into perspective for those of you who who don't live in Sydney. You struggle to get a house under a million dollars. So if you put a quarter of a million down as a deposit, you borrow 750,000. Wow. If you borrowed 750,000 in the last few years for a house... Since May last year, your repayments have gone up $1,500 a month. Now, that's, four, who, that's almost $400 a week. Who, who can afford $1,500 a month when you're already struggling to pay electricity and fuel and school fees and goodness knows what else? Yeah, look, again, I know that, you know, those on the side of the RBA will come out and say, well, they should have known, they should have looked forward. All these things are true. And, and you and I were talking about it. 
uh, a couple of years ago when yeah. they were really low. Yeah. You and I were talking yeah. about the dangers of it. Why? Yeah. Well, because we we got our loans when, what was your first house loan, 20% or something? I got in and just under, it was going down from 18. And I think mine was about 14 or 15%. So we're kind yeah. of used to, and we're because we're used to those big rates, we've, we're very careful. But these young people never experience that, and they're hurting. And look, my, my heart goes out to yeah, you at the too. moment if you're going through this. You've got my sympathies and my empathy, and, and it's one of those things, if you are going through it, you really need the wisdom of God to help you to cope and to know what to do. Mm. This is when having God as your saviour, having a relationship with Jesus really helps because you're able to go to him and say, well, what should I do? Mm. Should I sell? Should I keep it? Should I get an extra job? Lord, Mm. show me the way. Mm. And it does make a difference, doesn't it? But it doesn't change the fact that I think the RBA and the government are highly culpable in broken businesses, in lost homes, Mm. and depressed and devastated lives. Do you know how much tax Google pays in Australia? Not much. Less than 5%. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the big companies, the rich. Uh, and I, look, I'm not a communist. I'm not, mm. I'm not a socialist. I'm none of that. I just, I just, my heart is just going out to people who are going through what I believe is an unnecessary trial because I don't believe putting interest rates up is going to bring inflation down because it's not the little people who own these houses who are out spending with this discretionary spending it's the big companies that are doing it i'm in favor of what the government's talking about doing with superannuation dick smith this morning on the radio said he's aware of one guy who's got over 500 million in his superannuation account that he's basically paying 10 percent tax on now we all know that the tax rate for people earning more than a quarter of a million 15 what's that you're paying 15 percent on super not 10 yeah sorry 15 the um People might vote for you as Prime Minister if you come up with that. Um, This guy's been stacking away his millions at at 15% instead of paying his proper tax rate, which is, you know, significantly higher. So what you're saying is charge the big companies more tax? Well, 5% for Google, come on. And if they charge the companies more tax, then we wouldn't have to attack the Mm. little guys with... Mm. I don't know whether that would slow down spending or not. We're almost out of time. I just wanted to ask you this one. The future of transport, we've got 30 seconds. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Um... At the moment, it's looking, it's going to be electricity yes. and lithium batteries. Correct. But this article is talking about batteries that are made out of salt Correct. or baking powder. Is Correct. That, is that technology that's out there yet? Yeah, for the last five years, I've been hearing about these new salt batteries. They are very promising. We'll probably have them in the next five or ten years. Cheap to make, easy to recycle, um, perhaps not quite as easy to recharge lithium, but if you're charging them off solar, who cares? And almost zero damage to the environment. Okay, mm. so watch out. Watch out what's coming. We yep. might not be driving around in cars with lithium battery, but batteries yep. made of salt. Yep, yep. Well, that's the news, and here's the thing. When you see all these troubles happening, missionaries going missing, financial pressures, when you see actually the world advancing technologically, the Bible says we can look up because soon we'll see Jesus come. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song by Ivan Parker is one of my favourite. And you know what it's about, Hunty? It's about the second coming of Jesus. It's a really good song. Stirs me up every time I listen to it. Ivan Parker, singer from the US, singing The Midnight Cry.
of a mighty Russian wind And it's closer now than it's ever been I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds a call and at the midnight
Well, if you're a Christian, hunty, and that song doesn't stir you up, your heart's not beating and your blood's not flowing. For sure. It's great. The Midnight Cry by Ivan Parker talking about the second coming of Jesus. Nothing stirs me up more than that. Now, have you got the boss online? I reckon I do. Good afternoon. Can you both hear me well? We can hear you. Welcome, Terry Johnson, to the program today. Good to have you on board. Good afternoon, Lloyd. Nice to be on board and great to be talking to the Faith FM audience. Now, did I, did I hear an alarm going off earlier? Yes, I was at the South Pacific Division headquarters here in Warunga and they were doing a fire alarm and uh, I had to walk out of the building, so I've gotten into my vehicle, which is very, very warm at the moment because it's been sitting in the sun all day. Right. <laughs> that explains why you sound like you're not in the building. <laughs> exactly right. So I've got my, my ear pods in and trying to make sure that I'm being heard. Every time we have you on, Hunty likes to remind me that you're the boss, the boss of me. <laughs> I don't know. I live well, vicariously. You know, uh, Albert is your boss, and I just happen to have uh, a constitutional obligation Actually, in terms of his job. In our church, the way it works, you can correct me, but it's more about kind of like Knights of the Round Table, first amongst equals, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's right. There is no such thing as an individual who's actually in charge. There is, uh, we, we operate by committee and not by uh, individual. Even in my role as a, as a union president, the Constitution actually says that there's three of us who operate together and are equal in authority, and that's myself, Pastor Michael Worker, and Mr. Peter uh, Cameron, who just turned uh, 67 today. Okay. <laughs> He's just a young man. <laughs> yes, he is. Hunty, yes, he Hunty's is. not far behind him at all, actually. Both Lloyd and I are staring at 60. <laughs> hey, easy. Uh, easy, son. Both, both Michael and I are in our low 50s. I'm 53 and Michael's 52, and so we make up the difference. Woohoo! <laughs> We we don't have as much pressure, so we look younger than you guys. <laughs> so so basically, just to remind our listeners, because you've been on before, and our regular listeners probably know, but you're uh, the leader of the church of the Adventist Seventh Day Adventist Church in Australia. That's correct, and my responsibility is um, in in the sense of those who are in more traditional churches with bishops. My role would be like a bishop, just making sure that the church is that claim to be Seventh-day Adventists are running in line with our mission, and that the purpose of our church, which is to share the angel's message and prepare people for the soon coming of Jesus and the judgment that comes along with it, uh, is being shared faithfully by the 610 churches, the 49 schools, and the five age care companies that we have in Australia, along with our 63,000 Seventh-day Adventist members. I'm going to get you back one day to tell me what that Three Angels message is, but i got some questions today. I put them to you um, a little earlier. I haven't given you a lot of time to think about this, and they're really challenging. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to say too much myself. I'm just interested in your views and what you're saying on behalf of the church as a leader of the church on this subject, and I just want to get straight into it. Um, what is the view of the Seventh-day Adventist church to the recent World Pride Celebration in Sydney. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be able to have a conversation on this. And my, my statement would be that um, we would need to look at the changing scope of society and how quickly the values that were espoused by society over 3,000 years have changed. Um, it, it would be interesting to me to note if we had serious companies like Qantas, and other businesses, if they were to put the same amount of money, time, and 
publication, you know, PR mm. into other groups of people around the country like they do into Pride Week, what kind of a country would we be? So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging time for us. And as a church, we are looking through our own uh, understandings and beliefs. We, we stand very, very strongly on the biblical evidence that marriage is between a man and a woman. And we, we did that, um, we've done that, you know, since our inception as a church. And we've strengthened our belief from a biblical point of view as a church. But also we recognize that people have the right to live according to the beliefs that they espouse. And we would argue on behalf of individuals who are diametrically opposed to us, uh, that they have the right to be diametrically opposed to us, and they have the right to actually march like they've done in the Pride Week this week. But we would also say that as Christians, we have the right to disagree, to mm. disagree with kindness, to disagree with gentleness, to disagree in love, without rancor, without bitterness, without some of the vitriolic anger that I see some people espousing. Mm. You know, really, God has called us to love one another and to care for one another, and in so doing, uh, do it in such a manner that people will know that even though um, I, I don't agree, that I will do everything in my power to make sure that you're safe. Okay, I, I like that answer. Really, to disagree while maintaining the dignity, to do it gently, and to maintain people's integrity. Is, is that, have I got that right? Yeah, that's right, Lloyd. And, and really, for me, that's a biblical principle. You know, when you're looking at Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen yeah. short of the glory of God. You know, when you're looking at Romans chapter uh, 6 and verse 23 and onward, it says, uh, But now, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And when you're looking at chapter 7 and, and verse 25, Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And he continues on in chapter 8, verse 1, saying, There is therefore now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And so there's this concept from Scripture that we're on a journey, that God, you know, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that God justifies us, and cleanses us from that sin, which you see in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And then there is this process that we, you know, a big theological world that we call sanctification, where we say that on a daily basis, God identifies in us the things that are breaking our relationships down, the love that we have for one another as human beings, and the love that we have with God. And as he breaks those down and he, he identifies them and isolates them, he then takes that away from us because we can't of ourselves take it away yeah. from ourselves. And in that process leads us down a path of, of perfect love. Mm. So for me to stand up and actually say something uh, awful or negative about somebody who has a difference of opinion with me would actually be contrary to what the scripture says. Mm. Do I have the right to defend myself? Absolutely. Do I have the right to defend my church and my beliefs? Absolutely. But to do it in such a manner... Uh, like Gandhi did on behalf mm. of the people of India during the colonization of the yep. British Raj. You know, so there's this understanding of care, of compassion, of uh, non-hatred, non-violence, non-sectarianism, mm. but at the same time looking for principles that we can all abide to live with. Okay, I, th I think Mandela was down that same track too. Um, how do you think Christians should act towards LGBTI? I think, I think we should act towards everybody in society, 
with the same kind of compassion and empathy that we would like to be treated ourselves. And as a minority, you know, I, I as a Seventh-day Adventist, am a minority. There's only 62,000 of us who claim to be Adventists in the last census of the Australian government. And, and that means that there are very few of us compared to the 25 million people uh, of Australia. We worship on Saturdays. We ask for our exams uh, if we're at university to be placed on a different day, if it was scheduled for a Sabbath. Uh, and, and we ask for exemptions from work. So when I'm myself and thinking of myself as a minority, I need to be making sure that I'm being consistent in the way in which I uh, ask for um, exemptions for myself, just like I would ask for exemptions for others. And so while from a biblical point of view, I would have disagreements, uh, from a civil law point of view, I would certainly be saying that everybody has a right to the same free access to care, to uh, taxes and so on that I do. Okay, that probably leads me to my next question. It's a big one, and I think some people might be surprised at your answer, and I think I'm guessing I, I know where you'll come from, but are LGBTI welcome in Seventh-day Adventist churches around Australia? Absolutely, um, and we would, um, in fact, we have many who identify with that community who are members of our church. It's fair to say, Lloyd, that we have done well in terms of care in some instances, and in other instances we have not done well. And we have to be, we, we have to ask forgiveness when we've made mistakes that has caused people grief and pain. But here's the challenge. Um, we as a church, and I think that all Christian churches would believe this way, we actually believe in the concept of church being a hospital. Mm. It's not a very good metaphor, but it is a metaphor nonetheless. Mm. And church as a hospital is a wonderful illustration of what church is like. You know, you go to the hospital when you're sick. And if Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is to be believed, and I believe by faith that it is, then all have sinned, and therefore all are sick, and therefore mm. all are welcome in the hospital. Mm. But when you go to the hospital, you don't go to the hospital to stay sick. You go to the hospital because there you know that there are professional people who are going to love you, care for you, support you, encourage you, change your habits, change your way of life, in order for you not to be sick anymore. Nobody goes to a hospital hoping that the hospital is going to treat them like a sick patient for the rest of mm, their life. Mm, mm. They want to go to a hospital because that's the place where they will be challenged and, and brought into a loving relationship. The problem that the church has faced is that the church can be very judgmental. We, and I mean me when I say the church, uh, we can be very judgmental and the way in which we can judge other people can often make them feel unwelcomed, uncared for, lacking in empathy, and that then means that they're not interested in actually being a part of that fellowship. Mm. And that's that's very unfortunate because God actually calls all of us in our sinfulness, in our in our ugliness to be the church and to love one another as we're on the journey. Okay. Because the Bible actually tells us that it's not you and I that are to judge each other, but that's the Holy Spirit yeah. who brings us into all truth. And as mm. we're coming into all truth, he convicts us of the of the sinfulness of our life and he actually moves us beyond. I'll just give you a very brief uh, illustration of that, and that is, I, I I have over the years had many conversations with young men who struggle with that awful sin of of pornography, mm, mm. Uh, where where you know you're objectifying women and you're watching videos. It's causing untold pain across the church, and in terms of relationships, it's, it's changing relationships uh, unbelievably across mm. our our nation. Well, when a young man or a young woman focuses on pornography and they get ashamed, they, there's a sense of isolation, when they try to overcome 
the temptation and they focus on it, they never gain victory. But the moment that they start focusing on Jesus yeah, and yeah, only Jesus in worship, in mm. spiritual, scriptural reading, in yep. prayer, it's incredible how over a period of time the temptation of pornography goes away. And they've mm. not done a thing about it. Mm. The only thing that they've done is focused on Jesus. And so that's what we would tell anybody that comes to church. When you come to church, you come because you're a sinner. You come because you know that there are other sinners there. And what we will tell you to do is to focus on Jesus. And as you focus on Jesus, he convicts you. I cannot convict That's you. That's good, that. I like that. Because uh, there's a multitude. We have a multitude of sins amongst us in the church. And we're all coming from a, an area of brokenness. We're, we're, we're all fallen in the flesh. And if you focus on Jesus, like you say, the Holy Spirit gets into you. And he does all the work. Um, Look, a couple of other questions. We're running out of time fast here, but I just want to um, ask you this. So if I'm LGBTI, can I be a member, firstly, and can I hold leadership position in the church? So that's a very good question, and the answer to that is that currently the answer is no. And we are working through a process with our world church on what does this mean and how does it impact people who are identifying with the LGBTQI and, and how can we work with individuals who are uh, openly following the Lord and their journey is clear to see, mm. you know, and, and what do we do um, as, as church? Because we, we want to have a consistent process in, in, in working through this. And it's fair to say, Lloyd, that this is a challenging conversation across many different mm. uh, uh, church communities, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, you know, um, are, are all struggling with this. I think the challenge for us is actually found in the book of Jude. Mm. When you when you go to the book of Jude, it's a very short book. It's one of the shortest books in all of Scripture. Jude was probably the brother of James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, and so he's a half-brother of Jesus. And he, he was planning on writing a very long letter to uh, the community that he was writing to, but he was so concerned about what was happening that he wrote a very short letter and in verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord. And so the church's responsibility, people of faith's responsibility, is to ensure that if people are coming in and undermining the consistency of Scripture, that they need to be identified and that there needs to be a challenge because you cannot undermine the purity of the gospel and what it stands for. In other words, God calls us because we are sinful. God saves us. God justifies us. God sanctifies us. And in the process, we follow him and are convicted by what he tells us is sin breaking our relationships with one another okay. and with God. And Jude goes on, you know, fortunately, he ends his chapter, his one chapter by saying, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be all glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And so Jude recognizes that there's always going to be a challenge in the church of sensuality taking the place mm. of purity and that the only way to deal with it is through Christ Jesus 
who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. There is nothing that you and I can do. It is all done to him. Now, we're out of time, but I've got to ask you this last question. You are the president um, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Australia. So I think there's great gravitas to the answer you'll give us now. And it's important for people to hear, um, both those who are believers and those who are thinking about becoming believers. What would you say to LGBTI considering who are considering attending a Seventh-day Adventist church? I would say to them, like I say to anybody of any community, we have many different kinds of Seventh-day Adventist churches to meet the needs of many different kind of people on different journeys to meet Jesus Christ. Mm. And so like with all things, there are some churches that are going to be places of safe haven, and there are other churches that will be a challenge. Mm. And the, the process, like for all of us, you know, if you are a person from a different community, sometimes it's more comfortable to come into a church that speaks the same language and has mm. the same cultural understanding when you begin. And it would be the same thing for anybody who's coming to church. Uh, research, do your research well, and then when you come, know that virtually all Seventh-day Adventist churches will be welcoming and caring. They'll be challenged, there's no doubt about that, but they'll be welcoming and caring. Nothing wrong with being challenged either, is there? No, no. Nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with the church being challenged. And uh, look, uh, you know me, Terry, I like to be a man of the word of the Bible, thus saith the Bible, but I can tell you now... Uh, as just a local church pastor, I don't care what your problem is, what your challenge is, you're welcome at our church because I think Jesus, as you said, is the answer to everything. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you and with your listeners. Lloyd, I always enjoy what uh, you mm. and Hunty get up to in the conversations that you have. <laughs> and the great thing about what you're doing is that it's not only available on Faith FM via radio across almost... 230 stations around mm. Australia and soon to be 300 stations Love that. but it's also available on online and therefore there are listeners all around the world who are hearing the, the conversations which are challenging and, um, and it's through that challenging perspective that we're able to gain a broad view of how the, the gospel is shared Thanks for fronting up Terry God bless you and I look forward to talking to you again in the next couple of months Always a pleasure, Lloyd. You're happy to, uh, to come and say good day whenever you ask. Yep. Thank See you, you later, mate. See you, mate. Blessings. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Very challenging questions, Hunty. Um, Indeed. And he fronted up mm-hmm. and he stayed focused on Jesus and uh, enjoyed that segment. I'm not afraid to look at some of these harder topics. I know you're not either. We're careful. And we respect everybody, but it's good to look at them and to get a view from the church uh, on how they see these things. Um, this next song, It Is Well With My Soul. You know why I chose it? Why? Because the group that sings it, which is called Rooted in Christ, are Russian and oh, Ukrainian. I, there you go. We played this song once before, and it, it moves me to oh, tears. Oh, yeah, this song makes me cry too. Because you've got these Russian and Ukrainian young people singing together, and they sing th- four verses, one in English, yep. one in Spanish, and then the third verse is in Russian, and the fourth verse is in Ukrainian. Now, there's not a lot of difference between the Russian and Ukrainian language, but there are some significant differences. And I think what they're saying here is whether you are English, whether you're Spanish, whether you're Russian, or whether you're Ukrainian, there's room for you 
in the family of Jesus. And I think that's appropriate to what Pastor Terry's just talking about. No matter what your challenge in life, no matter where you're coming from, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hostile or friendly you might think the church is, there's always room for you, no matter where you're coming from, in Jesus. And that's one of the reasons I love him, Hunty. Mm. He's gracious. Yep. He's merciful. Mm-hmm. And he loves us no matter who we are, no matter how far we've fallen or no matter what the challenge. Thank you, Lord. So this song is for all you out there who think that maybe there's not a place for you. Well, with Jesus there is. And when you have Jesus, it will always be well with your soul. Oh, 
day very soon, Andrew Hunt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ukrainians and Russians, Americans and Iranians, Azerbaijanians and Armenians will all, because of Jesus, meet together and worship together in heaven. In Jesus, there are no enemies. Mm. There is no racial divide. We are going to be all one in Jesus Christ. And I think that song, sung by a bunch of Ukrainian and Russian kids, is a little snapshot and glimpse through a window of what's coming for those who believe. Mm. I love that about Jesus. Harold Harker, have we got you? Yes, we have, Lloyd. It's great to talk again. Welcome to the program. Where are you? I'm up in Cairns. How's the weather? Well, it's been pouring rain. They've had, I don't know, 200, 300 oh. millimetres of rain, <laughs> but today it's great. I reckon it might be cooler up there, Hunty, than it is down yeah, here. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> we're smoking through a, and when I say smoking, I don't mean cigarette smoking, we're smoking through some heat waves down here. and um, Yeah. We're okay where we are, because Hunty and his friend got the air conditioner going after it was broken. Sometimes I love you, Hunty. <laughs> Other times it's a challenge, but sometimes I love you, mate. Um <laughs> We're kind of going to change direction for the first time ever. We're going to talk about a guy who I would consider. Now, you can correct me, and I'm happy for you to do that. But I would consider this guy an enemy of the gospel. Well, he certainly didn't like the Reformation and did his best to stop it. He's seen by some as a hero. I'm struggling, Harold, to see him like that. Um, yep. I looked at his life. I did some, when you when you mentioned and you sent me some information. I I went and did a bit more study on this guy. There's nothing that I find redemptive about him. No, he he was against all the presentation of the gospel you could get. Yeah, but I wanted to have a look at him because I wanted to give people perhaps a bit of a different idea of. Yep the Protestant Reformation from the other side because there were oh. two sides to this contest. There were always two sides. Now, his name was Thomas More. We, we knew him later as Sir Thomas More, an Englishman. Um, when was he born? He was born in the late 15th century, 1748, on the 7th of February. Now, his address, take this, Milk Street in London, and you would think that's part of the the slums or something, but his father was a successful lawyer and a judge, so it must have been a highfalutin area. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. Where was he educated? So he's born, he's born to money. I don't want to say silver spoon, but he was born to money. He was born to success. Where was he educated? He went to St Anthony's School, which then was one of London's very best schools, so he got the best young education he could possibly get. Uh, I wonder whether that school's still around. I was wondering that when I was looking at this. Is this a school? Because often these English schools go on, don't they, right to our day. But They um, often do, like the big universities. That's right. Uh, So he's well educated. Uh, Who did he work for early on? Well, when he was just 12 years of age, he went and served the Archbishop of Canterbury as a page boy, and he worked there for a couple of years. Probably worth noting, too, the Archbishop of Canterbury back then was Catholic, not Anglican, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay, so he works for this guy, the Archbishop of Canterbury, as a 12-year-old page boy. What opportunities did that present him then and later on? Well, this Archbishop of Canterbury, he supported learning 
and he thought a lot of this young fellow, Thomas More, who came to work for him, so he nominated him for a place at the University of Oxford. Mm. So he goes there. He not only does his degree, but he learns languages. What was he proficient in? Well, he went there when it could take this, when he was just 14 years of age. Mm. And, and he started and he learnt to become proficient in Latin and Greek. He was actually an intelligent young man. There's no doubt about he, that. Absolutely. He was one of the tops. What did his father, so he gets halfway through his course, what did his father then insist he do? Well, he said, you've got to leave Oxford and start training to be a lawyer. And so he started at the New Inn, one of the inns of chancery in London, and trained to be a lawyer. So this is like a university of sort, is it? That's right. Well, he became a lawyer. A, a, and a, very, a very good and powerful one, too. He sure was. But he did consider another career. Tell us about that. Well, Erasmus had come over at this time. He was the, the humanitarian guy that uh, translated the Bible for a number of people. By the way, he's, he's another guy Ar I'd like to look yeah. at, Harold. Yeah. Erasmus, Erasmus said this guy thought of leaving his legal career and becoming a monk. Mm. But he doesn't do it. He goes on, becomes a, a lawyer. Who did he marry? He married a Jane Colt in 1505. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a good marriage, I think. Yeah, it seems that way. How many children did he have? Well, he had four kids, but why it was good, he even tutored his wife in music and literature. And these four kids, Margaret, Elizabeth, Cicely and John, that's a big family. Yeah, you look at his family, and I, I had a look at this outside of some of the notes you sent me too. As I said, I did a bit more reading on this guy. It actually seems to be a, a fairly functional, happy well-educated yeah. family. That's right. Unfortunately, a tragedy occurs. Tell us about that. Well, his wife, Jane, she dies in 1511, and he's left alone these four kids. He wasn't left alone for long, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, within 30 days, that's one month later, he's buried his wife and he marries a widow, Alice Middleton. No, was that a good, was that a good marriage? Said, You're mad, don't do it. He went ahead. <laughs> was it a good and marriage? To get married, he had to get a special dispensation because the time wasn't there when you've got to post the bands mm, and mm. say you're going to get married. He got married in a hurry. Good marriage? I don't think so. No. Okay, so it's interesting to me that this is where his life starts to turn too. Yes, it was. He loses a good wife and perhaps gets another one that perhaps, you know, doesn't um, go as well with him. Tell us about his journey to becoming the king's advisor. And I guess when I say tell us, just give us a brief overview. Well, before this, he'd been elected to Parliament mm. to represent Great Yarmouth, and then he represents London. He became a privy councillor. That's one of the top dogs you can mm. of anywhere there. Mm. And still then is. he went still with is, by Thomas the Wolsey, mm. who was the Archbishop of York, over to France and, and Belgium on a diplomatic mission to meet the Holy Roman Emperor. And then he gets knighted. He's made the under-treasurer to the exchequer, and then he becomes the secretary and personal advisor to King Henry VIII. So he's gone up, 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 up. He's gone right to the top. 
Yep. As this is happening, how does he see the Protestant Reformation, which is beginning to spark in Britain? Well, he's he totally supports the Catholic Church, and he actually saw the Protestant Reformation as heresy, and so he's again it right when he hears of it. What are some of the things he did to impede the Protestant Reformation? Well, he saw it as a threat to both the unity of the church and society, which was all Catholic then, mm. and he aided Cardinal Wolsey to prevent Lutheran books coming into England. In fact, he even did more than that. He had people spy on suspected Protestants. So he's, and as well, you yeah, go, and go. As, as well as that, he suppressed Tyndale's translation. Well, we that's talked about, about Tyndale to... recently. Yep, that... And this New Testament, he didn't want it because the people could read the gospel. Yep. So what was it? Did he know Tyndale? What was his relationship to Tyndale? Well... He uh, he probably knew of Tyndall, but he certainly wasn't a friend of his, but he was one of the ones that finally got Tyndale uh, arrested and executed. So that is actually a true story. He was behind or one of the ones behind Tyndall's arrest and execution. Correct. Yep. Well, that's a grievous wrong, any that way sure you look is. at it. I mean, he's opposing the Bible going into Britain, into England, and on top of that, he's betraying and having the guy who translated the New Testament into English, he's having him executed. That's right. What does Fox's Book of Martyrs... Now, Fox's Book of Martyrs, how would I describe that? Um, well, it's a list of all the Protestant, mainly, all mostly Protestant martyrs who died for their faith when they wanted to preach it or share it. What does it claim about Sir Thomas More? Well... It claims that he was one who watched people when they were put on the rack and stretched until they confessed, and he was personally responsible for a number being burnt in London at Smithfield. So he was involved in other persecutions of the Protestants other than Tyndall. That's right. Well, he falls out of the favour with the king. What was that all about? Well, the king, of course, King Henry VIII, he didn't like his wives, and he had one, two, three, four, and so on. And uh, he, um, in conflict, he claimed the Pope was the one who was in charge and not the king, mm. and the king didn't like that. And uh, then he refused to sign the letter that Henry had written asking that he would be, uh, in marriage to Catherine of Aragon, would be annulled. He, and so he's right opposing the king and everything. So it's a funny thing, isn't it? He's almost uh, a little bit... Uh, he's dysfunctional because on one side he's persecuting Protestants and seeing them to their death uh, as martyrs, but on the other side he's actually standing firm against Henry VIII in his dalliances, really, with other That's women. That's right. He even refused to go to the coronation of Anne Boleyn as the Queen. So in some sense, even though he's on the wrong side of this, he's, he's a man of courage and of some integrity. Yes, yes. I, I actually get a feeling when I'm reading the story of his life that he's a guy who actually, even though he's on the wrong side of the contest, thought he was doing the right thing. He was true to his what he thought was his conscience. So he was put on trial. Basically, why was he put on trial and what was the sentence? Well, because he opposed the king, he's on trial for high treason. Mm. And uh, he, one, as uh, the jury 
and it went to a jury, only took 15 minutes to say guilty. <laughs> and that, that means his life's done. It, it, was a, it was a stitch up, really. So how did they execute him? Well, he was sentenced to be hung, drawn and quartered, and that is horrific. Yeah. But the king... Well, that, by the, least, before you go on, would they do that while he was still alive? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay, go on. And that the king said no, because he was a learned man and been his, he said, decapitate him, just cut his head off. It actually gives you a little insight into Henry VIII and what, what a rogue he was. Oh, right. Because this guy was a friend. He was a friend. And yet, hard to believe that someone could go as far into darkness as Henry VIII did. Well, well after what the king did, you know, as he's dying, yep. Sir Thomas More says, I die the king's good servant and God's first. Yeah, so he died believing. Um, he believed in the cause that he was on, even though it was the wrong one. In 1980, I was surprised at this. What did the Church of England do? This surprised me. Yeah, well, just like the Pope has forgiven others in the past, the Church of England said, hey, we want to add him now to the calendar of martyrs in what they call the saints and heroes of the Christian Church. And so he's become a hero and a martyr and a saint of the Church of England. Is that because he was opposing Henry and his vile behaviour? <laughs> I'm not sure because Henry VIII's the one who started the Church of England. It's a strange thing, that, because he is a man who persecuted the Protestants, he yep. persecuted the early fathers of Anglicanism, and, and yet here they are um, uplifting. Dunno. What did Pope John Paul do? And this kind of does make sense. <laughs> well, I think we've got to be true to, the, to our uh, conscience. But that should be guided by the gospel and the word of God. So Pope John Paul, what did he do? Oh, well, John Paul, he was the one who also uh, tried to say sorry to ones that had like the Waldens yeah. and others before. Yeah, so, so John Paul made him a saint or lifted yep. him up as well, gave him an award. and yeah. Um, yep. Okay, and, and finally, because he was a he was a Catholic till he died. Really, yeah, he was. Um, last thing, is there anything positive we can get from his life? Well, I think uh, while he was opposed to the Reformation, at least he he was he thought he was serving God, and the best way we can serve God is to follow His Word and follow Jesus Christ. I reckon he was a villain, Harold. Yeah. Well, he was. I can't go beyond that. He's a villain. He's and an opponent. God will judge him accordingly. Yep, opponent of the Protestant Reformation, blood all over his hands. And you're yep. right, God judges him, and who knows what God does. He's merciful, he's gracious, and that's not our place. But I still found that a very interesting story. It is an interesting, and he had a lot to do in that time of English history. It won't be the last villain we look at because I'm enjoying going over to that side just to get <laughs> the other perspective. Thank you, Harold. Okay, all the best. See you next week. God bless you. Bye. Thanks, mate. See ya. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Okay, Hunty, how are we going for Aussie Pastor? Have we got some questions um, in? Ask the Aussie we do. Pastor. Or? Hey, there's a whole bunch sitting in there. Okay. Very good. Is it, should we ask for some more or we fall? Yeah, no, there's still time. If you want to send a question, we'd love to hear from you. You can text your questions to 0488 
880851, or you can email them to us, theaussiepasta at gmail.com. Now, Hunty didn't want this next song. Because I it's didn't. In, it's in Welsh. Hey, I thought, where's the blessing in that? See, I think there's a power in music that transcends the words. This is a song sung by the Welsh Boys Choir, and it's about, it's a religious, it's a spiritual song to God, and it's about a man yearning for purity of heart. Now, that's got to be a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And more than that, Mr. Hunt, <laughs> it's a Welsh icon, this song. So as you listen to it in Welsh, just think about what these boys are singing about, about the joy of following Jesus, how he comes into your life, and how he purifies your heart, and enjoy the power of the music and the words. The sacrifices men made are now a memory as the pits have closed. The decline of traditional industries has also affected the membership of male voice choirs. However, there are definite signs of a resurgence. Like the youth choir, only boys allowed, who sing our next hymn. It's sung at every match involving the Welsh national team. But the real meaning of Calon Lan is far from macho. It places a pure heart above all the fame and riches of the world. beautiful. I'm waiting for you to talk, Hunty. So beautiful. I had my mic on mute while I was coughing. <laughs> so beautiful.
that song about purity of heart is sung before every Welsh, this is the rugby union team's game. Mm, I read that. It's like their national anthem. I think the guy said it at the beginning of the, the song. And it is just so beautiful. In fact, that same choir went on to Britain's Got Talent with that song, Hunty. Okay. Yeah. And they sung it. And they got through. Now, I don't know how far they went. They obviously didn't win the whole thing. Yep. But it's a special boys' choir. No girls allowed. Yes. And in Wales, men's choir is a bit of a tradition. Yep. And some of their choirs are just incredible. If you want to listen to some beautiful music, go on to YouTube, my favourite um, platform of social media choice. It's not. Is it a social media platform, YouTube, or not really? Yeah, it's hard to say because for me, social media is interactive, whereas YouTube is not so much, even though you can write in the comments. But oh, love, love YouTube. It's, it's considered social media for sure. You listen to these Welsh songs. Maybe it's the Welsh in me, hunty. There you, you go. Know, I've got Welsh in me. I've got Irish in me. I've got English in me. I've got Scottish in me. I've got Swiss in me. Man, I am just, uh, uh, oh, well. I'm a mixture. I'm citizen, of, citizen of Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm everything. Oh, man. Um, I want to play this video, which is what you're going to hear because we're on radio, is the sound bite to it. Did I say that right, Hunty? Uh, yes, it's just a little grab from the sermon. This, yep. is, this is Billy Graham, who I happen to think is one of the greatest preachers in at least the 20th century, Hunty. We've, we've featured him before. My um, father went to the Billy Graham crusade in Sydney. Did your mum or dad ever turn up to the, that, Hunty? Because they're of the same vintage. They are. And he said Billy Graham was one of the most powerful preachers he ever had the privilege of hearing. Yeah, many people say that. And um, my dad's heard uh, a lot of preachers, a preacher himself, not a bad preacher himself either. Um, Billy Graham is in full flight here. And he's talking about how each of us has a choice to either follow Jesus or not. This is just a short grab. Listen to it and see what you think. In Revelation 3.20, the scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Knocking at the door of the church. Knocking at the door of your family. Knocking at your door. Why doesn't he just push the door open and come in and save me? He never interferes with your will. You have a will of your own. That's the way he made you. He made you in his image. You can reject him. You can go to your grave rejecting Christ and there's nothing God can do about it. He'll do everything in his power to warn you. He'll do everything in his power to bring incidents across your path to stop you but he won't trespass on your will very powerful hunty indeed i kind of want to just listen to that quite, whole a, quite a sound bite it was this guy is in full flight here yep and with the power of the holy spirit upon him preaching to thousands and thousands he says it is your choice whether or not you decide to follow Jesus or not, and God cannot, and he will not force you. Yep. I want to just for a couple of minutes share a story in the Bible about how important it is that you make a choice to follow Jesus. Do you know why it's so important now, Hunty? Do you, what, do you have a view on why it's so important right now? I absolutely do. 
your salvation is the most important thing in your life. And so now is always the most important time. You could die tomorrow in a bus or a car accident, could fall out of the sky on a chopper. Be ready to meet your maker. Accept I, Jesus right now. I like it because what you're saying there, because the reality is that we are living in the season, still the season of mercy and grace. Yes. In other words, it's a season where you can still choose. When Jesus comes, it's too late. Yep. But you can choose right now whether or not you want to follow Jesus. And it is a simple choice. I believe this, Hunty, that everyone at some stage or another gets a choice, gets a chance to follow Jesus. Sometimes they just blow it away without a thought. Yep. Others think about it and then walk away. Others are convicted and make a stand, probably the minority of the planet. But if you're listening to this radio station right now, I'm telling you one of the reasons you're listening to it, because the Holy Spirit has brought you here and giving you a chance today right now to make a choice. Now, I'm an Australian and you're an Aussie, hunty, and we're pretty average Aussies. Yep. There's nothing strange or cultish or different about us really, except we both made a choice to follow Jesus. Yep. We're still weak. We still fall over. Yep, still we sinners. still struggle. Yep, yep. We're still sinners and we're in desperate need of a saviour. Yep. But we made a choice for Jesus and we're average Aussies. I think that's fair enough to say. Yeah, absolutely. If we average Aussies can make a choice for Jesus, well then why not you who's listening to this radio station right now? Exactly. As the Holy Spirit talks to you, why not make a choice for Jesus today? It's as simple as saying, Jesus, here I am. I accept you. I want you. I choose you as my Savior. Come into my heart. He will come in a rush. He will come with great power, and your life will never be the same. So true. Let's look at this story about a man who got a chance to make a choice. This is a 2,000-year-old story of Jesus and a young man. If you're into the Bible, you know this story. Yep. If you're not into the Bible, you may never have heard it. I just pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you of the power of what's going on here. And we don't have the time to unpack this with all the power that's in it, auntie. Right. There's great theological, doctrinal, <laughs> yes. biblical truths running straight through the middle of this. Yes. But we just want to pull one precious fruit off the tree, off this story today, and see if it can't help you make your call for Jesus. Matthew, if you've got your Bible in your home, Matthew mm-hmm. chapter 19, uh, Hunty, verse 16, mate. This is Jesus, and he's having a talk to a young man. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What would you say, Hunty, if someone came and asked you that? What hey, good Hunty, deed? Oh, Hunty, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, what good deed have I got to do? To get uh, eternal life. You cannot do any good deeds nah, to get eternal you life. you can't earn your way to heaven. You, you can only get there by accepting that Jesus loves you. If you had to earn your way to heaven by being good or being perfect, you're in trouble, Andrew Hunt. Big, deep trouble. Actually, someone said to me, I got a letter. I've already mentioned this <laughs> over Christmas and said, we love your show. Could you just stop being mean to Hunty? <laughs> uh, did I tell you why I wrote that? <laughs> I'm kidding, I didn't write that. Uh, I felt like writing back and saying you should watch what he does to me behind the scenes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the, the point is, Hunty, you'll never be good enough. You can't work your way to heaven. And I'll never be good enough. No. But but what he was asking was a fair question. Well, because a good question. He's a Hebrew, he's a Jew, and yep. they're into doing good works. To this day, Judaism believes you get to heaven by being 
Good. Yep. Christianity believes you get to heaven by giving your heart to Jesus. There's a significant difference between the two. Let's move, mate. We're running out of time. Okay, Jesus replied. He said, why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, just keep the commandments. So Jesus is actually going along with us. He says, don't ask me about being good. You're on the wrong track, bro. Yep. There's only one who's good, and that's God, because yep. Jesus is God. So he wasn't claiming that he wasn't good. He was just saying, God is good. You are not. You're on the wrong track. But he says, if you want to go down that road, okay, let's go down it. Um, just read verse 17 again, Hunty, and then go straight Sure, ahead. sure. If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the guy says. Sorry, which ones, the man says. That's a fair enough, the guy says. I don't mind that. I don't mind that hunty version. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honour your father and your mother, love your neighbour as yourself. I've obeyed okay, okay, all okay, these. Okay, 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 okay. So Jesus said, hey, okay, you want to get to heaven by being good? Yep. Here's the commandments. That's it. Are you keeping these commandments? He's going through them, one after the other after the other. And, and you know, this rich young ruler, this dude who's young and rich and high in society there in Jerusalem, he's going, oh, I'm liking the sound of this. Yep, yep. I, I come and I ask this guy how to get to heaven. He says, be good, and he's listing off all these commandments. Man, I am a commandment keeper. That's I heard, right. I heard some people at church say that sort of stuff. You'd almost, you almost smell the smugness. <laughs> I'm a I'm a commandment keeper. Yep. I'm going to be okay. But you see, what Jesus is doing here is he's leading this young guy, this dude, mm-hmm. to a choice. Yes. He's going to have to make a choice. And Jesus is going to bring this thing to a climax real quick. Go on, mate. Yeah, so Jesus has just told him about the commandments. This is his response. I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. What else must I do? Don't you love that? <laughs> Jesus sets him right up. Well, man, yep. I'm I, yes. I love it. I love the way, and yet Jesus is doing it gently. With love. He's not trying to humiliate mm-hmm. this guy. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get him to make a good choice because Jesus sees something in this young man. Listen to me, listeners. Jesus sees something in you. That's why you're listening to this radio program right now. It's why through the Holy Spirit he's making a call to you right now. Jesus saw something in the young man. Mm. Jesus sees something in you. He sees something in you, Hunty. For sure. Okay, what happens? So, so the guy's just said, I've obeyed all the commandments. Mm-hmm. So then Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Okay, okay. This is huge. Huge. <laughs> Jesus hits to the heart of the matter. Yep. This guy loves money. Yep. And Jesus says, hey, sell everything you have. So he's saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to give everything. Sell everything you have. Now watch this, hunty, and come follow me. Jesus is calling this young man to be a disciple. Hmm. Did you ever think about that? Right. No, I did not. You do not see Jesus make this call very often. Hmm. He's saying, come and be follow a, me. Hmm. Be a disciple of mine. But give up that thing in your life that you value and you love more than me. And for him, it was money. And I'll tell you what, we're living in a money-hungry world, auntie, where people will will sell their mother to make an extra buck. (laughs) We are a, a culture that loves success, excess money, and everything that comes along with it. And if there's something that gets in the way of people making choices for Jesus today, it's money. Hmm. 
So here's this man, young man. Jesus has called him. He's got a choice. What does he do? Unfortunately, when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He made a choice. He did. You know what, Hunty? Every single time I've seen Jesus call someone, whether you, me, or anybody else, every single time, the one thing he asks us to give up is that thing mm -hmm. that we cherish the most. That's right. Mm. And it's usually money. Yep. And you think, here we are 2,000 years on from that story. What a tragic mistake he made. Mm. He was called to be a disciple. And he chose money. And he disappears out of history. Today, Jesus calls you. There could be something in the way. It might be money. It might be pornography. It might be fornication. It might be something else. Sometimes it can be good stuff, hunty. Mm. And Jesus calls you. And he might ask you to give something up to follow him. Don't let it stop you. Make a decision for Christ today. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. When you come to Jesus and you make that choice, Hunty, one of the things that hits you in the heart real hard almost immediately is the grace of Jesus. And what that means is the wonder that Jesus would want me, would die for me, would take my sins and give me heaven for free. That's grace. And this story, this story is a beautiful story and the story is being sung here mm -hmm. about grace by May, a friend of ours, mate. Yep. And Sam, her husband, I think you're going to enjoy it because it's about you and what happens when you make your choice for Jesus. Mercies lie. 
for all my weaknesses, hunty, and my falls, for my strengths, my victories, that truth that May was singing about the grace of Jesus is what drives me on. Yep. I could not walk this walk with Jesus without grace. And again, grace is that great gift where Jesus gave his life for my sins and gives me eternity for free. I am saved by grace, not by works, lest I should boast. By grace, by grace, by grace alone. Yep. And I learnt that in my 30s, and I've never let go. And you know where grace really comes home for you, hunty, is when you have a fall and things aren't going real well. You might be struggling with a temptation or drowning in a sin. Mm. It's grace that will grab hold of you and pull you out and give you hope and give you victory. That's grace. The promise of Jesus, the reality that he's taken my sins to the cross and I'm saved. I love it. And one day, hunty, if Jesus doesn't come, I think he's going to. But if he doesn't come in my lifetime, I think he's going to. Hear me? I think he's going to. I'm hearing you. But if he doesn't, I'm going to lie on my deathbed if I'm awake and around to to be conscious for it. I'm going to die with confidence. It's not an idle boast. I'm going to do it because I have the assurance of grace. No matter how good or bad my life is going, no matter how successful or unsuccessful I am, I have grace. The whole world can turn against me. I have grace. You can't take that off me, hunting. No one can. Mm. I've got grace. It's this thing between Jesus and me. I have grace, and I will hold on to that. I'll hold that on to that when I have a failure, and I will hold on to it in the victory. I have grace, and that's why I've got assurance. I'm going, mate, by grace, to be with Jesus in heaven one day soon. For sure. Ask the Aussie pastor. It is time. Hard questions or easy ones? A bunch of hard ones. (laughs) You ready? Oh, you, you... Are you still enjoying that, or have you got, kind of got used to it? No, it, it still makes me smile. Before you do, is it too late for questions? Too late c- today. But if you'd like to send us questions for next week, we'd still love to hear from you. Do especially, it, do especially it. if anything you've heard today has your thinking, scratching your noodle, send us a question. What's your noodle? That's your brain. It's, oh. it's a dad joke. All right. So if you want to send us a question... The text number is zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or you can email your questions to us, theaussiepastor at gmail dot com. Here we go. First can we question. ban dad jokes on this show? No, everyone says scratching your noodle, but it means thinking. So we can't ban dad jokes. You or? can try, but I've got the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting at the console. He's got the worst <laughs> listeners. He's got the worst jokes in history. I'm telling, <laughs> and it's only going to get worse as he gets old. I can tell. <laughs> it's, it's, I got grandkids to to abuse with my dad jokes. <laughs> Let's go, mate. All right. First question. This is from our mate David over in WA. Your thoughts, Lloyd and Hunty. We have an anti-Trinitarian in our fellowship. Okay, just for our listeners. Mm, what's an anti-Trinitarian? Anti-Trinitarian. The Christian church believes that God is one God expressed in three persons. The Bible teaches this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, they're all separate entities. They're uh, separate beings, but one God. How does that work? It's a bit of a mystery. And an anti-Trinitarian doesn't believe that. They just believe there's one God. They're kind of a bit like Muslims. Believe in one God only. There's a, there's, there's a big, big difference, Hunty, between mm. Muslims and Christians. People say we serve the same God. Well, I respectfully say no way. And if you don't believe in, go and ask a Muslim if they believe that Jesus is God. Oh, you're a Christian, Hunty. Is Jesus God? Of course. Yeah. Mm. But if I ask that to a Muslim, you'll say no. Right. So the gods we serve are different. And it's so for the anti-Trinitarian. They believe in one being only. And Jesus is not... 
God in the fullness that, we, that the Father is, and the Holy Spirit is just an entity, not a person. So that's why anti-Trinitarian is. I think Dave is saying we've got one of them in our church. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, he's saying one in our church, yeah. and he would like to know, um, because we know that Jesus is God who died for our yeah, sins, true. and this anti-Trinitarian says God can't die. Yet Jesus did die for our sins. So how do you explain that? And when Jesus came to earth, he put his divinity aside. Right. He became a human. Yes. There's some mystery in this. But yes. when he died, he died. I don't even argue that. Yep. He died. How's that sound? I just had a cough, Hunty. Is that yes. all right? <laughs> no, that's sounding good. All right, let's go well, to the next well, question. The, the, the reality is you can argue these things forever. True. But Jesus said he died. Jesus, we know he put aside his divinity. So what happened to his divinity when he died? I don't know. Did he have consciousness? Well, he died. Yep. But Jesus did say, I raised myself. From the dead, he said, oh, if I lay my life down, I will lift it up. How that works, I don't know. Look, there's some real mysteries about God, about Jesus even, and his incarnation. That's mm. a big word. Mm. just means when Jesus became a human, what happened? Mm. What happened to his divinity? What happened when he put it aside? Was he still divine when he walked on the planet? Yeah. yeah if, I I, have, if I'd been Yeah, go hunting. No, I was just going to say, I have no problem with questions like this because... I was created by a God who loves me. He also created, created the entire universe. I know that my brain can't fathom things of God. Look, it's not an excuse either, is it, that our brain can't fathom things. It's just reality. It is. And there are things about Christ and his incarnation, again, when he became human, we don't understand. But was he God when he was on earth? You bet he was. If Jesus came into the room and I'd been there, I would have fallen flat on my face in obedience, which is worship. To Jesus. Uh, what happened to his divinity when he put it aside? Don't know. I just know he never used it while he was on earth. And so when he died, he died. Mm. He was dead. So right, the anti-Trinitarian <laughs> friend can argue that till Jesus comes. To be honest, Dave, I wouldn't waste my time with it. That's it. And that's no disrespect to the question. No, no. It's just these things aren't worth arguing about. That's right. All right, this next question, what a ripper. I'm glad it's you, not me. What life experience, Lloyd has best shaped who you are? We don't get many personal questions. Yeah, I know, right? right? <laughs> it's quite personal. Um, don't want to skip it? No, no, I don't mind sharing a bit. Um, my divorce, Ooh. something very negative. Wow. Um, shaped me more than anything else. Until then, I'd never really been into darkness, never suffered depression, um, never knew what it was like to lose hope, never knew what it was like I was never suicidal, but I was in a place where I would have rather died than lived. Mm. Never knew what that's like. Know what that's like now. It shaped me um, dramatically. It taught me. Well, it began a journey for me on learning to trust in Jesus alone, and I'm still on that journey. He still hasn't got me where he wants me to be, but he was very merciful, very gracious, and stuck by me in a very dark time. Mm. And I think things like those sorts of tragedies either drive you to Jesus or away. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of my friends go through divorces and other great tragedies, losing someone they love, a child or a spouse. They'll wander from Jesus. But for me, not that there's anything good in me because there's not, but for some reason I realized my frailty and my weakness and it bonded me to him. Does that make sense? Mm, it does. I like so that. So that was, that was a big changing thing in my life. I hope by the grace of God and by the grace of my <laughs> wife never to go through that again. Yeah. All right. Next question. We've got time for one more at least. 
How can you tell the voice of God from a voice in your head? You can't, to start off with. That's why it's important to read your Bible, because when you read your Bible, you get to know the voice of God. When you get to know the voice of God in the Bible, strange as it might sound, Hunty, yep. you'll get to recognize him in your head. But don't trust initially when you first come to Christ, don't trust voices in your head. People do that. It's crazy. Go to the Bible. Look for the voice of God in the Bible, and when you hear, and it'll be there from the first time you read it. It's there. Once you hear the voice of God in the Bible over months, years, you'll get to know it in your head. That, that's a strange answer, but that that's how it's been for me. All right, this 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 question. We've got time for it. Is a killer. If God is all knowing, then why did He make humans, knowing that He'd eventually have to send Jesus to His death? That's uh, a pretty deep question, that one, deep. Hunty. Um, Maybe make it a Bible study God, for next week. <laughs> God's, God's for freedom. Yep. If he never made me because he knew that when he made me, I wouldn't serve him, kind of cuts against who he is, doesn't it? Yep. It's the best I can come up with. For God not to create beings who he knew would rebel would be against his very nature. It seems to me that God is such a prolific creator that somewhere, someplace, sometime in the history of the universe, however big and long that is, mm. someone was going to rebel. And it happened to be our planet, our people, it's our lineage and what we are suffering under. But Jesus came and became one of us. And more than that, he became a redeemer and saviour. In other words, he takes our sins, gives us eternal life. He doesn't do that for anybody else, just us. you got time for one more, I do. You? Come on. Okay. 40 <laughs> seconds. We're doing no <laughs> worries at all, mate. Why did a supposedly, a supposedly omnipotent God take six days to create the universe, and why did he require rest on the seventh day? Well, I don't know why he took six days to create the universe. <laughs> but a lesson, maybe. But he did, and it was fair enough. I like the six days. It gives you a chance to see him systematically put our planet together. Maybe he wanted us to see that. I don't know. Uh, we're not told that. But he did. It did take six days. And why did he... I can answer that that last one. Mm. Why, why did he put the Sabbath at the end of yep. a rest? Well, it's not because he needed a rest. It's because he wanted to set up a day where he could spend time with us. Right. No work, no distractions, just you and God. Right. Why not? Beautiful. How's that, Hunty? Very well Did done. Did we get through them all? You've got 20 seconds to dance this next song and we're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a saviour. Ernie Hass and Signature Sound, one of my favourite groups. And what a great song to finish. What a saviour. How beautiful, how fabulous, how fantastic, how wonderful Jesus is. These guys are singing this. I was straying in sin's dark valley, no hope within cool I see, but they searched through heaven. And they found the Savior to 
He's pretty good, this Jesus of ours, Hunty. Absolutely. He is good. Uh, he's fabulous. He's wonderful. And what they're singing about, I'm just going, amen, amen, amen. Hey, this Sabbath, I haven't done this this year yet, want to invite you to New Hope if you're in northwest Sydney, Adventist Church. Hunty will be there. In fact, I, I think, uh, are you running the tech team this week? Cause no, Alex is. Ah, we've got a debut, a guy debuting. But Hunty will be there. Always. <laughs> Making sure we do get everything there. I'll be preaching. And I want to invite you to New Hope. What's our address, Hunty? Because I've got no idea. Oh, you Have you forgotten? That well, I'm in the middle of my own little crisis but, here. But you normally know what it is. No worries at all, I man. I normally do. I normally do. Yes, it is somewhere near the Aldi. It is, is near the Aldi off Quakers Hill Parkway. That's right. <laughs> am I waiting for it? Or am I going to finish? No, I'm. No, I've got my own little fight, fighter fight here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> look up New Hope Church. Can I look it up? Have I got time for that, Hunty, or not? You have. As I'm talking away here, um, it's at the Anglican Church at. Uh, Quakers Hill, is that right? That's right. And the address is, and I can't <laughs> believe Hunty's forgotten it. I rely no, on. No, I it. told you, I'm having my. No, no, I rely. Right Four Samuel Place, Quakers there Hill. Four Samuel Place. Ten o'clock, our worship service starts. If you want to come for the second part, where I'll be preaching, eleven o'clock. That's right. Come along, stay to eat. Now, Hunty, I want you to get that in your mind before the next program. That's right. We're relying on you. <laughs> Four Samuel Place. Yes. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Hope God blessed you, and I hope you've been. Um, impressed, convicted, encouraged to make a decision to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's not an easy world. A lot of temptations, a lot of distractions out there, but you call some people today. Some have made decisions, some are still thinking. May your Holy Spirit rest heavily upon them and call them. Continue, I pray, Lord, in your gentle way to call them, to follow you all the way through to eternity. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. You are a great saviour. It's a privilege to follow you and to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My name's Lord Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor. And my name's Hunting, and I'm the man in black. I love you. Yeah, we love you for sure. But Jesus loves you so much more. So much more. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, always to support us, go to findjesus.tv.